0: You know, as we come to Acts chapter 2, I'm reminded that on the night before Jesus died, before he, he left, uh, Jesus told his disciples uh, there at the the last night that it was going to be better for them if he went away. And of course, that was that was puzzling. What a, what a puzzling statement that that is, that it's going to be better for the disciples of Jesus if he's not there. Uh, how, how could that Possibly be. How could a world without Jesus in it be a better place than a world with Jesus in it? Uh, And we think, well, because in fact, isn't that what we we are hoping? Isn't the the promise of God been from the beginning that we're aiming for, that we're moving toward a kingdom where Jesus Christ will reign? So, if that's what we're, we're hoping for, if that's what we're aiming for, if that's what's been promised, that. Uh, Jesus is indeed going to reign and that's what we want. How can it be better if he's not here? Now when Jesus said those words in John chapter 16 that uh, it was better for them if he, he goes, the disciples were clear, clearly confused by it. And even as we saw as they were waiting for, for Christ to ascend or just before Christ ascend, they're still waiting for the kingdom and thinking that the kingdom is going to come and Jesus is going to stay, and it's going to be everything that they had hoped for. But that's not what happens. Now, as we come to Acts chapter two, now we're about to find out what Jesus meant. What he meant when he said, it's better for me to go than to stay. This is where we find out where that makes sense. Right now, we, it is indeed better for Jesus to be gone. He has ascended, and he sits at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning as Lord of, of all. And here on earth, we have the presence of the Holy Spirit, who is alive and well in the earth now. As we come to chapter 2, in fact, let's read through this portion. We're going to read from verse 1 through verse 13, just before, ending just before Peter's sermon. And uh, then we'll we'll take a few thoughts this morning. So it says in in Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look, are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya joining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. We hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what could this mean? Others, mocking, said, they are full of new wine. Let's ask God's blessing on his word, our Heavenly Father. We thank you for your word. We pray that you would encourage us and teach us, uplift us this morning as we learn from it. We pray today that as we study, as we sit here this morning, that this place would be filled with the presence of God's spirit within around thank you and praise you in the name of jesus our savior amen this moment of luke chapter two is what luke has been moving us toward what he's been pushing us to from the beginning of this book then at the the beginning we've seen the promise of god's power in verse 8 where he says you will receive power it's coming and it's It's what they have been waiting for and what they've been preparing for. You see, Jesus told in the beginning, wait here in Jerusalem until the promise comes. And then the, the promise again, he will come. You will receive power. So from the beginning of this book, this is what Luke has been anticipating. He's been what he has been moving us toward to see and to see what's going on here. And in a miraculously unique moment the spirit comes and he comes in power and everything changes for them. But it doesn't just change for them. Everything changes for them and for us as a result of what takes place in this miraculously unique moment. This event, as we see at the very beginning of chapter two, takes place on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost means 50th because it is the 50th day of after Passover um, this year it will be May 23rd just by way of, of reference but on this, on this day which was a, a day of celebration and feasting for Israel the, we can see the disciples are again gathered together in their room and they are worshipping again together on this Sunday 50 days after Passover they are worshipping there together in the Old Testament it was known as the the feast of weeks uh, or uh, or gathering so it had its roots in the Old Testament. It was one of the, the, the great feasts of the Old Testament. Um, it had changed over the years. In, in the beginning, it was more of a kind of a first fruits uh, festival again. But by the time Christ had come and by this stage in society, it had become more of a celebration of the giving of the law uh, uh, and what God did on Sinai and how God gave them the law. And so that became the, the focus of this Uh, celebration for the people on Pentecost. Pentecost was one of the three great feasts of Israel. So with Pentecost, there's also Passover, which is perhaps the the preeminent one, Pentecost, and then which the next one along would be Tabernacles. These are the three great feasts of Israel. What makes these part of them being the three great feasts is that they are the, the pilgrimage feasts. So these are the ones, that the celebrations where people would travel from all over the world to come back to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts. These three feasts were the ones that, uh, that was at the heart of the people of Israel and, and Jews around the world, that they would make their way back to Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts. And that's why we see so many people and so many of these devout or religious people from all over the world there in Jerusalem. They are there because that's one of these great pilgrimage feasts. They've come back to celebrate Pentecost. As we look through this, let's, let's see this morning how God keeps his promise. We've anticipated this promise all along and we've been told about it. So how does God keep his promise? First thing we see here is this wind and fire that fills the house uh, where they are, are meeting. Meeting. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. This moment happens, as this this sound of of wind comes, and this appearance of tongues of fire sits uh, above each of them. Here we find the presence of God coming and we notice a number of things about the presence of God here. The first thing we see about the presence of God through the coming of the Holy Spirit is that this is the perfect presence of God. When the Holy Spirit comes here, we see the perfect presence of God and he comes as a result of the promise of the father. This moment in Acts that takes place here has been looked forward to, not just since Jesus. This has been looked forward to since the prophets. This was something the prophets had foretold. Ezekiel speaks about it and Joel speaks about it. And and in Peter's sermon, which we'll look at next week, there's more of that which explains more of these prophecies that come. But this was something that was looked forward to. It was hoped for as they looked for God the Jews expected the coming of the spirit when God would set up his kingdom it was part of what they expected part of what they were hoping for and longed for because that is what had been prophesied to them Um, you might want to put a a bookmark or a finger back in in John chapter 14 because we'll look back here a little bit where Jesus speaks about about this that night before he died but In John 14, in verse 16, says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans, I will come to you. In Acts 2, this is the moment Jesus had promised. This is what he had spoken about before his death and then remind us about before his ascension. The coming of the Spirit is an important part of God's eternal plan. So just as we've been seeing as we've gone all along here through Christ's death and his resurrection and his ascension and the choosing of Matthias, all of these things are all part of God's eternal plan. So it is with the coming of the Holy Spirit. It had been part of what God had intended to do from the beginning. It was His promise. And with His promise came God. Perfectly God. Sometimes, the, as we read through here, the, the noise of this, the wind that is there and the, the fire that, that comes, uh, for some, these have been uh, perhaps a little bit misleading. But throughout the Bible, the the spirit is often characterized as wind or as fire. They're not uncommon characteristics or ways to describe the work of the spirit. In fact, in both Hebrew and Greek, the word for spirit and the word for wind are the same. And so we look at the context and, and see what is meant by that. But don't misunderstand here as we look at this and we hear this idea of the sound of wind coming and the appearance of fire coming and think that the, the spirit is just some force or some power or some mysterious presence or feeling that comes. That's not what is being communicated here, that the spirit is just uh, some, some force or a feeling or presence. The spirit of God is completely and wholly God. He is as much God as the father is God and the son is God. He is equal. He is holy and completely God. Back in in John chapter 14, where we have read before, I mean, you can hear how Jesus speaks of the spirit in these verses Uh, and in the way that he speaks of the Spirit in these verses, you can hear him speak of the Spirit as God. He speaks of him personally, as a being, as a person in being. He says in verse 16 of John chapter 14 that he will send another helper. That word another means uh, one of the same kind. That is, when Jesus goes, another of the same kind... Will come. So when God the Son leaves, God the Spirit comes. They are the same in nature. He is not inferior to the Father. He is not inferior to the Son in any way. In fact, when Jesus is in the middle of this, in, in John chapter 14 and verse 8, he's telling him that the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to leave. The Holy Spirit is going to come, and he says, I will not leave you, orphans. I will come to you. In that little statement, I will come to you, he's saying, yeah, I'm leaving, but I'm not leaving. God is still present. The Bible is very clear that the Spirit is the very presence of God. In Hebrews chapter 9, it tells us that he is the eternal Spirit who is at work in our salvation. In Matthew chapter 28 and verse 19, in that great commission which uh, Jesus gives us about what we're to do, he tells us that we are to baptize in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. He is put on equal footing with equal reverence as both Father and Son. God is present in this world, and he is present in his people through the Spirit. But not only is this the perfect presence of God, that God is present, the presence of God is also personal through the Spirit. Two wonderful things happen on this day. In this one event, two wonderful things happen. The first is this, the Spirit comes to stay. The presence of the Spirit is permanent. He comes to stay. This This event, this moment on on the day of Pentecost marks the next step. So it's not new and it's not something entirely different but it's the next step in God's unfolding plan of redemption as he moves us to his desired end. The Spirit was active in the Old Testament and you can see that as you read through the Old Testament. The Spirit was active, he came upon people, he filled people, he worked in the Old Testament but not in the same way. You know, in John chapter 16, when Jesus is again reminding them about the Holy Spirit and telling them what will will happen, he tells them in, in John chapter 14 and verse 16 that he will abide with them forever. So he comes and he comes permanently. He comes to stay, to abide with us forever. So God's presence in his people is now permanent. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 says it this way. Or do you not know that your body, that is the, the body of every believer, is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own. He is in us, he is with us, he is present with us. This moment, when we talk about the Spirit coming and coming permanently into the world, is often referred to as the. To it in Ephesians chapter four, and and he talks there about there is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called into one hope of your calling, that is that sent the Spirit, and he comes and he comes into the world and permanently. He doesn't have to keep coming back. He doesn't have to go away and come back and do something fill this person over there or do that person over there. He fills his people and he is present in his people. He is here right now. His presence is also very personal. I said two wonderful things happen here. The first is that he comes permanently. So he comes and he comes to stay. The second wonderful thing that happens on this day is his filling. So verse after the spirit comes, says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a second wonderful thing. A more personal nature of the presence of God's spirit. Now, these are two different things. So the coming of the Holy Spirit, or the baptism if you prefer that term, the coming of the Holy Spirit is a single permanent event. The Holy Spirit comes to earth on this day and abides with his people forever. The filling of the Spirit is repeatable. And it happens often. We'll see that as we go through the book of Acts and and learn more about as we see what uh, the Spirit does as he fills people and what he does through them. But they are different things. So the baptism or the coming of the Spirit is a one-time event. The Spirit is here. The Spirit abides in his people. And then there is the filling of the Spirit, which is a repeatable and often repeated event. The filling of the Spirit is an expression of or an aspect of our relationship with the Holy Spirit and how we relate to him. See, the presence of God in this world, when the Spirit comes and is present in this world, the presence of God isn't just about some presence in this world, that he's here and he's doing something, but he's present. He is present in a deeply personal way very deeply personal way, there are real and very personal effects of the Spirit being in the believer. We might put it this way, to be filled with the Spirit is to submit to the Spirit. We talked about this, well, quite extensively in Ephesians chapter 4 and chapter 5 when we went through Ephesians about what it means to be filled with the Spirit. But it is to essentially submit to the Spirit, Now, the presence of the Spirit never changes. The presence of the Spirit never changes. He is always here, and he is always in and abiding in the believer. Jesus promised that. He is always here. The presence never changes. But our relationship with the Spirit can change. Never lost. Never lost. So as a believer... You never lose the presence of the Spirit. So it's never lost if you believe in Jesus Christ. But your relationship with him can change. So, it changes, for instance, with being filled by the Spirit. That is, we submit to him and we find his power. But it can also be affected by what we often call as hindering the Spirit. So my relationship with the spirit can be brought deeper by submitting to him and being filled with the spirit. But my relationship with the spirit can also be distanced, if you will, or hindered by my sin. So as I sin and as I harbor sin in my heart, it means I am no longer submitted to the spirit and his work in me and through me is hindered. There is a reason that Jesus calls the spirit the helper. In John chapter 14 and John chapter 16. He is sent and he comes in presence to us to help us. To help us. The word helper, sometimes translated uh, consolation or comfort, it literally means to come alongside. It means to comfort, to strengthen, to counsel, to intercede to advocate, to encourage. He comes as someone who comes alongside to lift us up, to carry us through and to be present through our journey for Christ. Believer, as you sit here today, God is present with you. Very personally, very real. He is present with you and he is present to help So we must pay attention to our relationship with the Spirit because it can be grown and it can be hindered. His presence in uh, this world is perfect. He is the perfect presence of God. He is the personal presence of God. But one of the things we also learn here is that the coming of the Spirit is also the powerful presence of God. He fills with power. We've read it, we've seen it here, that the coming of the Holy Spirit is accompanied by a sound like wind and something that appears like tongues of fire over the heads of the disciples gathered in that room. Now both of those things, the the sound of wind and the the appearance of fire, both of those things are um, long-standing expressions of the presence of God. So think pillar of fire in the Old Testament. So the idea of wind and and fire, they have long been uh, expressions of God's presence among his people. So with the sound of wind coming and the appearance of fire, it is an expression of the presence of God coming. God is present. Both of those things are things that Jews expected and anticipated with the coming of the Holy Spirit. That was what they were looking for. That was what would tell them that the spirit was present. But also part of the prophecies of the coming of the spirit was not just these expressions of his presence in wind and and the appearance of fire, but also in the languages that came. Now, the spirit doesn't need all of these things to come. So it's not like when the spirit comes, it comes with noise and sound and he doesn't need those things to come. These are tangible expressions so that we know the Spirit had come. Now, the result of his coming is a remarkable miracle. A remarkable miracle here of the disciples being able to speak with other tongues. And we're not going to take the time uh, to go through any of that right now, but I want you to know this. It's clear from this passage. There is absolutely no possibility... From this passage, there is no possibility. From this passage, that when it speaks of tongues, it's ecstatic babble, that we often speak of when it's tongues here. The passage here, the words, no matter even in the original, it doesn't matter where you read it. There is no possibility that's what it's speaking of. When it speaks of tongues, it speaks clearly and evidently of known, understandable languages. Nothing else is implied here. Nothing else is said here. That is the only thing this passage is meant to tell us. They heard known, understandable languages. And so all these people from these places which are listed here, who spoke in other different languages, they tell us we are hearing these disciples speak our own language. We can hear it. Jesus promised power And immediately they saw the power of the Spirit at work. Jesus said, wait here, the Spirit will come, and you will receive power. And when the Holy Spirit comes, immediately they see the power of God in their life, the ability to speak in other languages. Now, I believe that the miracle was in the speaking, not in the hearing, So the disciples spoke in other languages. It wasn't that the people heard in their language. They spoke it. They spoke in these languages. Acts shows us the powerful working of the Spirit in many ways. We see it in a lot of different ways. But though the power is expressed differently in different ways and in different times, he is no less powerful today. The Spirit works in a lot of different ways, and we see it changing even through the book of Acts. And you'll notice that as we move our way through it. The way the Spirit works, people, changes as time progresses. But it doesn't mean the changes mean He is no less powerful. He is as powerful today in and through His people as He was the day He came. It's also important for us to know that this miracle, this filling with power, came for a purpose. The miracle wasn't just for show. It had purpose. There was purpose to this. The miracle itself was not the point. That wasn't what he was trying to show. In fact, which we see as we read through this, the miracle didn't clear things up. It caused confusion. It caused them to be perplexed. The question is, how do Galileans who were not known for their linguistic ability; they were generally seen and, and known to have, you know, fairly lazy speaking and not great at just language in general. And that's one of the things that confuses them: is here are these Galileans who generally are known to not be are speaking fluently English. Great confusion. The Spirit's purpose in this miracle is seen immediately. We see exactly why the Spirit did what he did here. He's empowering them to speak for God. That's the purpose. What he speaks, we find in verse 11, is that the people are able to hear the wonderful works of God. They hear the wonderful works of God. With the coming of the Spirit, Spirit comes and and what he does uh, in this world and through his people is one, is he points us to truth. He points us to truth. There are two ways that that happens primarily, many ways, but there are two primary ways that we find this happen. The work of, of God through the Spirit One of them is he gives us God's word. We call this inspiration. He gives us God's word. The Spirit's activities in this world are varied. So the Spirit does a lot of things in the believer and in the world. There are many ways in which he works. But his purpose is very clear. In all the things that he does, in all the work that the Spirit does in the life of the believer and in this world, his purpose is very clear. Clear. What was it the people heard the disciples speaking? The wonderful works of God. That's what they heard. In John chapter 16, as Jesus is again speaking to them about the coming of the Spirit. In John chapter 16, verse 13, it says, However, when he, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. Jesus tells us there, and we see it happening in Acts chapter 2, that the work of the Spirit is to make God and his salvation known. That is the great purpose of the Spirit in this world. Yes, he does that in many different ways, through many different avenues the way he works in the people of God and around. But his great purpose is to make God known and the way of salvation known. He does this firstly by giving us God's word. John chapter 14, Jesus says in verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance, all things that I said to you. Now, those words are specifically to the apostles. He's speaking that to the 11 that night. That God would bring those things to the man. He would not leave them without a source of truth. The Spirit would give them understanding. Which is why John, when he writes his, his gospel, as he comes to the end, he says, you know, these things we didn't understand at the time, but now we do. The Holy Spirit gave them perfect understanding of the words and the works of Jesus Christ. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, we're told that the word of God is... Uh, God breathed. It's what we call inspired. God breathed. That God breathed it out. It is the very words of God. Second Peter chapter one tells us that the Spirit moved men along, moved these holy men along to write the words of God. So what the Spirit does when he comes, because his purpose, his main purpose, is to show us God, and the way of God is one. He gives us God's word, and he inspired men to write the word of god the bible is a living and powerful book because it is inspired by a living and powerful spirit the purpose is to reveal god and his salvation so he points us to truth by giving us god's word but secondly he points us to truth because he teaches us god's word the first one we call inspiration. The second one, where we talk about him teaching us God's word, we call illumination. The ability to see what God teaches. The Spirit teaches us truth. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, it tells us that naturally, so without Christ, without the Spirit, we don't understand the things of God because they're foolishness to us. They are spiritual and we are carnal. So, without the Spirit, we can't understand the things of God. So, he says, also there in 1 Corinthians 2, that the Spirit teaches us that truth. The author of the Word of God teaches us the meaning of the Word of God. I probably told you this before when I was in in high school. I don't know why I did it. Uh, I took um, about half a year of English literature hated it. Absolutely hated it. And the reason I hated it was this. We took a book and it didn't matter what the author meant by what he said, as long as we could determine what we thought he meant by what he said. So the author's intent made no difference. It's what we thought it was. Drove me batty. But we don't have that issue with the word of God. We have, through the Holy Spirit, the ability to study it and to understand it. That's why we have centuries of, of people who have studied God's word and who teach us God's word. He points us to truth, to proclaim truth. The Holy Spirit comes on this day of Pentecost to empower us to speak. This theme has been present all along. The promise of the Spirit is almost always accompanied by proclaiming truth. So the promise of the Spirit is almost always accompanied by proclaiming truth. And the first thing that we see the Spirit do isn't perform miracles and wonders and through people, but rather the first thing we see the Spirit do is enable people to speak the gospel. The first thing he does is move people to proclaim the gospel of Christ, and that has not changed. The Spirit at work in us moves us to proclaim the gospel of Christ. The Spirit is personally, powerfully present in you to proclaim the gospel of Christ. He empowers us to to speak and he equips us to serve. As I said before, this miracle isn't to impress. The miracle is to accomplish the purpose. The miracle is so that people can hear the gospel. That's what the miracle is about. It's not about showing off what God can do. It's not about making people speak in in other languages. It had a purpose, so that people could hear the gospel. And understand it. The spirit divinely equips them to serve. And the spirit is still doing the same thing today. Empowering us to serve. He doesn't necessarily equip us in the same way he did the early church. But he still equips us to help us proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, But the manifestation of the spirit is given to each one For the profit of all, the spirit is still equipping us, gifting us, empowering us to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. As a believer, you have the truth. You can understand the truth and you are empowered and equipped to speak the truth. Now this leads us to the last point, because this is where it all goes here. So there there is this this wind and this fire which comes to represent the the coming of the Holy Spirit. And with the coming of the Holy Spirit, the people are able to hear the wonderful works of God. And the response is, we see at the end of verse 12, whatever could this mean? What does it all mean? Well here, as we see what God has done and what the Spirit is doing what could it mean? This means the provision of salvation. This means the provision of salvation. A lot of attention is often given to miracles. But Please notice that the miracle does not change people's hearts. Rather, it perplexes them. The miracle doesn't make it better. The miracle opens the door to find the answer. The real point is their response. What does it mean? The door is then opened for Peter's sermon, which we'll see next, which is Peter explaining what it means, what has happened, what God is doing. This is where the spirit is at work. Jesus told us some of what this would mean before he left in John chapter 16 and verse 8. He said, when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment of sin because they do not believe in me of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. This is where the spirit is at work. He is at work to convict. To convict of sin. Convict is a a legal term. It's to declare guilty. Part of the work of the Spirit is to declare us guilty, to make it known to us to lay before our eyes that we are guilty before God. That is what he does. We become uncomfortable in our sin. That word convict also carries with it, to a slightly lesser extent, the idea of convince So not only does he lay before us and declare our guilt and make us uncomfortable with the sin that is in our lives, but he drives that truth deep, deep into our heart until we know he's right. So he doesn't just show us that and say, that's what it is. He pushes and he prods and he pokes and he moves until what we see before us, we are convinced is right. He convicts, he will convince, and he does this in the world. He does this for those that are in sin. He does it by working through God's people. He empowers us to proclaim the truth, and he uses that truth to convict sinners. So he opens our eyes, and he opens our eyes to lead us to salvation. This is the question. What does this mean? Let me tell you what it means. His work isn't just about judgment. It's not just about pointing out sin. Reveals the need of salvation and reveals the way of salvation. He shows us our sin and he shows us God's righteousness. The Holy Spirit came. And in his coming, what does it mean? The provision of salvation. The father determined salvation. The son accomplished it. And the spirit applies it. It also means peace with God. Perfect peace in a troubled world. Jesus said of the coming of the spirit. Peace, I leave you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. He is the minister of peace in our life. The fruit of the Spirit is peace. He protects us from fear and anxiety and doubt. He gives us certainty and hope and joy in times of trouble. But that peace, that perfect peace in a troubled world is the result of a permanent peace that comes by being brought into a relationship with Jesus Christ. A peace that comes by being restored out of our sin and into the family of God. Therefore, having been justified by faith, that is, by believing that Jesus Christ died for my sins and being reconciled to him, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. The Spirit's work is to bring people into a relationship of peace with God. Eternal peace, free from judgment, free from condemnation. A peace that comes from being freed from our sin. We today are still experiencing the results of Pentecost. The Spirit is still here. He has not left. The Spirit of God abides in every believer. He didn't come temporarily to empower a generation for God. He came to dwell in God's people forever. When you believe Jesus as your Savior believe that he died to save you from your sins and to rescue you from eternal condemnation, you receive the presence of the Holy Spirit. Fully, completely, wholly. You don't need any more. When you believe Jesus Christ of the Spirit, he comes to you and he abides in you. And he does so forever. He then empowers you and he equips you to speak the wonderful works of God. He does that so that people can hear, so that people can understand the truth and be saved. The presence of God's Spirit in you is a mighty and glorious reality. It's not about the miracles, and it's not about the the fancy things that, that we sometimes see in Scripture. It's about making God and his salvation known. That is the work of the Spirit. To make God and his salvation known. He does this by teaching the truth of God. By making us more like Christ in our actions. And by equipping us to proclaim the power of the gospel. Perhaps the spirit has been at work in you lately. You're beginning to see and understand truth. Maybe like these. You're asking what does it all mean? Find out today. Listen to the words of God. Seek out the truth that Jesus Christ came to save from sin. Let's have a word of prayer together. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time together. We thank you that the Spirit has come, that he is present with us right here and right now. And we pray, dear God, that he would take the word which we have read He would plant it deep in our hearts. Lord, we pray that we would submit ourselves to the Spirit, that we would listen to his leadings as he roots out the sin within our life to cleanse us and make us more like Christ, so that in our life we would not be hindering the work of the Spirit, but finding the fullness of the Spirit, to be able to be used by God to proclaim the wonderful works of God. Thank you and we praise you for this wonderful and perfect and great presence that you give us. Let us never forget. Let us never take it for granted. Dear God, use us. pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.